Welcome to the Lighthouse Community Podcast. Thank you for joining us today. We hope today's teaching will encourage you in your faith and help you develop an increasing desire to walk with God. Let's listen in. Well, good morning. You know, one of the biggest feedback I get every time that I get up in front of people is people say, Matt, you talk too fast. Can anybody say amen to that? And uh, I got an amen down here. I appreciate that. Uh, that's okay. I have a lot to say, so listen fast. Uh, no, I'm just kidding. That kind of thing. Hey, glad you're here this morning, and uh, especially if you're joining us online, I want to say a very special welcome uh, to you. And I just want to say that, that uh, it may be a surprise to you, but the online community is actually a lot happening there. It's shocking to me how many times over the, over, over the time that I've been here, how many interactions we've had with people and uh, people that have, have chosen chosen uh, to be with us online and use that as a gateway uh, to actually joining us in person as well. So I want to encourage you, uh, if you're online today and you're watching, uh, that this would be an opportunity for you to see, you know what, it's pretty great being with us in-house and with being with us together uh, and do that. We have opportunities throughout the week to interact with people in meaningful ways, whether it's people actually calling us from some other state, uh, Vermont, uh, and other places. This It's amazing to see what God does uh, through that community. So we're super glad uh, that you're here with us. I think it's fair to say that uh, our American culture does not know how to think about suffering in healthy ways. We don't know how to think about suffering in very healthy ways. Pick your reason why. Maybe it's just just that it's too real. Maybe it's just uh, uh, too close to home. Maybe it's just too soon. And we look at our suffering and we struggle through it. And there's, I would actually say that there's different kinds of suffering that we struggle through and different ways that we struggle through it. Some is born out of a natural disaster, like a, a hurricane or a tornado or thing that maybe causes uh, destruction to property and even life um, and that sort of thing. Around here, maybe it's a flood. But some, some of it's born out of evil. Maybe something that's evil, crime, or an unjust war, or something like that. I would say there's a category for accidental suffering, too, where somebody does something careless, or they, they do something stupid, and they, they, they act, they, there was an accident that happened, or, or the iron gets left on, or something like that, or whatever it is. Or there's maybe relational suffering in, in our lives, where people are, someone's being rejected by somebody who... Maybe it's you that's been rejected by somebody who you thought loved you. And then how about emotional suffering? Something that we hear a lot about, and it's actually a very real problem in our world, is anxiety and depression and the suffering that goes along with that and what that feels like inside of our hearts, inside of, our, inside of us. But no matter what your, your view is, we have to accept that there's suffering in our world on many different levels, many different sources, and they're either malicious or they're benign. But we can identify suffering around us and even tell you what it looks like. But today, we're going to be asking the question, where does suffering come from? Where does it come from? And maybe you haven't ever thought of that question before, or you have, and you've struggled through it. I hope that as we come out of today, you'll come out of today with a better understanding of what the Bible teaches. Last week, we started a brand new series called The Invitation, uh, and that's where we're in today. Uh, what we're aiming at is, 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 uh, is to see that God uses suffering in our lives to invite us to rely on Him in maybe ways we didn't know that we could. So last week, Pastor Fritz started us off by talking about how we, how we can help 
each other uh, work our way through suffering and how we can be a comfort. And he talked about God as the ultimate source of comfort when we suffer. We talked about how we can engage well with each other. And Fritz gave us some really meaningful ways of how we can engage with each other in our suffering. And today, we're going to use the same passage again. In fact, the whole series, we're using the same passage, but we're going to land in one verse for the first part uh, of this as well. So we're going to pick it up again. If you haven't turned there yet, turn over to First Corinthians, or 2 Corinthians chapter 1, uh, and we're going, to, we're, going to be there. we're going to be over there this morning in 2 Corinthians chapter 1, and we're going to pick up in verse 3, and I'm going to read it through. It's going to be up on the screen as well behind me as you read it through, but here it is. Blessed be the Lord and God of, our, of, our Lord, of the Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies, the God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our affliction, so that we may be able to comfort those who are in any, who are in any affliction with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. For, we are, for, for as we share abundantly in, the, in Christ's sufferings, so through Christ we share abundantly in comfort too. If we are afflicted, it is for your comfort and salvation. If we are comforted, it is for your comfort which you experience when you are patiently enduring the same suffering that we suffer. Our hope for you is unshaken, for we know that as you share in our sufferings, you will also share in our comfort. For we do not, we do not want, you to, want you to be ignorant, brothers, of the affliction we experienced in Asia, for we were so utterly burdened beyond our strength that we despaired of life itself. Indeed, we felt that we might have received a, a sentence of death, but that was to make us rely not on ourselves, but on God who raises the dead. He delivered us from such a deadly peril and will deliver us. On him we have set our hope that he will deliver us again. You also must help us by prayer so that many will give thanks on, the behalf, on our behalf for the blessing granted us through the prayers of many. There's something I can think, I think of, I, I think we need to do here as we get into this here, as we, as we go, is to offer an explanation to what suffering is. So step back and go, okay, this is what it is. I'm not going to actually attempt to give a full uh, definition summary, but what I rather want to do is I want to show you in verse 9 real quick and just kind of show you what it, what it can look like. In ver I'm sorry, in verse 8 uh, real quick, it says this in verse 8, for we do not want you to be ignorant, brothers, of the affliction we experienced in Asia. For we were so utterly burdened beyond our strength that we despaired of life itself. Indeed, we felt that we had received the sentence of death. You talk about strong words that come through in that, in that moment. And it's some pretty dark stuff that Paul's dealing with. To say it that way and for us to actually step back and go, wow, that's crazy. That's pretty big. And Paul shares in this verse that he faced some pretty difficult circumstances as he passed through Asia. We don't get a lot of detail about what that looks like. In fact, what I would encourage you to do, maybe this week you can go back and you can read in the book of Acts, like in 15, 16, 17, you can actually find some of the stories in there. In fact, just read the whole book of Acts. But you'll see that amazing stories in there of Paul working his way through some of that stuff. But if, if, not, for all the, if not all the suffering that they faced was related to all, most of the suffering, if not all of the suffering they faced was related to them when they were sharing the gospel wherever they were. And so for them, it was super intense stuff. 
It's happening in places and in cities that he invested a lot of energy. It wasn't like some random place where someone had said, oh, we're just going to, you know, we're going to go over to where Paul is and we're going to preach. No, no, no. We're talking about places that Paul had actually invested a lot of time and a lot of energy and deeply loved these people. Cities like Lystra and Derby. And how about this one? Ephesus is a whole book, whole letter that Paul wrote to them that, were, that he felt this persecution. So let me begin by telling you that regardless of what kind of suffering that we deal with, it all comes from a single source. It all comes from one place. And I'd like to unpack that by giving you three truths that the Bible teaches about the origins of suffering. And I want to sort of warn you that the weight of talking about the origins of suffering might seem a little dark and dismal, but I want you to see that suffering points us back to God, and it points us to the gospel. It points us to the point where ultimate suffering was taken on by, by, by Jesus and suffering on our behalf. And without that, guys, it would be completely meaningless. So the first truth is this. The first truth is this. We suffer because of our broken relationship with God. And I'll tell you that that's really the foundation behind it all. That's really probably the foundation, the big piece of the whole thing. At the most basic and general level, the Bible insists that suffering is a feature of this life because the human race has turned away from its creator. Turned away, turned his back on his creator. God is the one who keeps, who gives life and health and, sa- and safety. And yet we've tried, and truth is, we keep on trying in our lives to live according to our own rules. To say, I'm going to live this way, I'm going to set aside God because, th- because of this, everything in our world is out of alignment. It's out of focus, it's out of, it's out of alignment completely, and nothing works properly anymore. Relationships break down. Our bodies fail. In fact, if you look at, at Romans, it talks about, in Romans chapter 8, it talks about how creation is groaning. But creation is actually suffering and groaning through. And as humans seek to provide for themselves and justify themselves, they inevitably find themselves in conflict and competition with each other. Jeremiah chapter 2, God describes the pattern like this. He says this. He says, my people have committed two evils. They have forsaken me, the fountain of living waters, and hewed out cisterns for themselves, broken cisterns that can hold no, broken cisterns that can hold no water. And there is the pattern. That's the pattern that I'm talking about here. It's a pattern of sinfulness from the very beginning to forsake the truth, to step aside from what people know is true and leave God behind. And the second part is they dug out for themselves wells or cisterns that could not hold water. Guys, that is self-leadership. That's saying that I am capable of doing this on my own. I don't need God's help in this. I can push through and I can do this on my own. The second truth is this. It says, a a true understanding of suffering does not begin with innocence, but with guilt. Let that sink in for just a second. A true understanding of suffering does not begin with innocence, but with guilt. And here's what I mean by that. Based on what I just said about suffering being born out of a broken relationship with God, the notion that people are basically good cannot be true and is not true. Maybe you've heard it said, people are basically good. It's not true. So instead of asking the question, because of that belief, so instead of asking the question, why do bad things happen? And that question right there, guys, by the way, it supposes innocence. Why do bad things happen? And maybe a better question is, why do good things happen? 
because that supposes guilt. And according to the first truth that I gave you, we're all guilty of sin. And I know that might seem a little bit foreign or even backwards to some of you in the way we look at this, but what does the Bible teach to that end? At the beginning of the Bible is an account that we call the fall of man in the book of Genesis. And it is there to remind us that we live in a fallen world, a world in disarray, a world under the curse of sin. And the response of God to the sin of Adam is judgment. That's what he provides in that moment, is judgment. And God promises death. And he says in in Genesis, in Genesis chapter 2, in the day that you eat from this, you will surely die. That's the promise. In fact, we see it in Genesis 3 as well. So let's, I want to read that. It's going to be on the screen as well in Genesis chapter 3 and the account of the fall of man. In Genesis chapter 3, starting in verse 1, it says, now the serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field that the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, did God actually say you shall not eat of the tree in the garden, of any tree in the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, we may eat of the fruit trees in the garden, but God said you shall not eat of the tree that is in the midst of the garden, neither shall you touch it lest you die. There it is. God's promise there, verse 4. But the serpent said to the woman, you will not surely die, for God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was a delight to the eyes and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise, you hear that? She heard the lie there, and the lie was it was to be desired to make her wise. She took this fruit and ate it, and she also gave it to her husband who was with her, and he ate. Do you see it? Do you see that this is the place where they clearly chose to take control for themselves? They chose the lie. They believed the lie that that was being offered to them by the serpents. Like I said a minute ago, leaving God behind and allowing ourselves to be led by ourselves. This is where Adam and Eve were tempted and believed the lie that they were told and they chose to go against God. And a simple summary of this is to say that they chose to lead themselves and deviate from God's perfect plan in that moment there. And this is where sin and therefore suffering entered the world. What's important here is to see that sin and suffering are related. There's a really close connection between the two. The third truth is this, that suffering does not and will not discriminate. Suffering does not and will not discriminate. Think about it like this. Pain finds the healthy. Car accidents find the poor. Bankruptcy finds the educated. Brokenness finds the strong. Depression and anxiety find the wealthy. Death, well, that finds everybody. Jesus reflects on suffering in Luke chapter 13, starting in verse 1, and it says, There were some present at that very time who told him about the Galileans whose blood Pilate had mingled with their sacrifices. And he answered them, Do you think that these Galileans were worse sinners than all other Galileans because they suffered in this way? No, I tell you. But unless you repent, you will all likewise perish. Or those 18 of whom the Tower of Siloam fell and killed them. Do you think that they were worse offenders than all the others who lived in Jerusalem? No, I tell you. But unless you repent, you all likewise perish. 
There's a guy by the name of Dr. D.A. Carson. Um, He's a professor at Trinity Seminary, and he observes this. He says, what Jesus seems to imply is that all suffering of the world, whether caused by malice or by accident, are not peculiar examples of judgment falling on the distinctively evil, but rather examples of the bare stark fact that we are all under a sentence of death. Feel the weight of it yet? (laughs) And maybe that weight is a lot for you to bear. But this is Jesus' answer in this passage in Luke to the disciples' question about the helpless Galileans who were slaughtered by Pilate. They wanted to know if these Galileans were greater sinners than all the other Galileans because of the fates that they experienced, that they came under. The question is, do those who suffer, suffer because they are more sinful than other people? Can we say that suffering is directly proportionate to sin? The answer is no. We can look at the book of Job, and we can see Job as an example of a man who is not suffering for personal sin. Jesus said, I tell you no. Jesus is saying that these people were not necessarily more deserving of suffering than others. They did not, they did not die because they were greater sinners than the rest. And we expect him to go on like and talk, and, and, and talk about how, the, how undeserving of suffering maybe they were. Many times we would say things like the innocent are more often made to suffer in the world. There's a problem in that statement. But it's a statement we hear and we use in our world very often. Or we might say, it is good not to, it is the good who are injured or hurt. Again, good? Is that true? But surprise, that's not what he says here. That's not what he says at all. He says, he says instead saying that, that some are innocent sufferers, he says that, unless, that everyone deserves to suffer in this way. Is that surprising? Everyone deserves to suffer this way? Does that shock us? Does that, that, that push against our own, our own feelings of understanding who God is and what God does? He warns them that unless they repent, that they too will die. They will perish. In other words, it is not that they were worse than others, but, but, th- but, but this is what every sinner deserves and will get unless they repent of that sin. We'll come back to that in just a minute, but I want you to notice that Jesus does not land on the tragedy that has come on a few. But hear this: He lands, but the great He lands on the grace by which the majority are spared. I know I said there's three truths, but I, I something just occurred to me this morning uh, that I, I kind of want to kind of add to it, and it's kind of closely related to suffering, not discriminating. But it's worth mentioning here. Don't be surprised when you suffer. Don't be surprised when you suffer, but you should, know, you should be surprised by grace and blessing. We should be surprised by grace and blessing. I know that sometimes I, I, I view suffering as an unjust or unfair intrusion in my life, and maybe you can relate to that and you feel like you don't deserve it, but in reality, here's the reality, is what you don't deserve is grace and blessing. And by definition, grace is getting something that you don't deserve. C.S. Lewis wrote a book uh, called The Problem with Pain. And if you want to go and read a book on, on this and, and actually see, it's actually uh, written as a kind of an intellectual Christian response to the question around suffering and adversity. And from our point of view, much of the discussion of the problem of pain and suffering gets started on the wrong foot. Resist the assumption of innocence. I recently had the privilege of walking alongside a family who was in suffering 
kind of a very personal uh, thing, a family I've known for many, many years. And you see, this mom was diagnosed with cancer about three years ago, and the diagnosis was never good. There was never positive news from the diagnosis at all uh, because they knew that it was, only, only, it was the only end of what she had was, was, was death. And she fought for three years, and her husband and kids and grandkids were by her side. Uh, and three weeks ago, she finally went to be with Jesus, and she was finally healed. And I tell you that that's the ultimate end of suffering. That is the end of suffering, is being healed in the presence of Jesus. And I reflected on her life and what I know of her and wonder what would God want to do through a mom like that, through a grandma like that, through a sister like that. And I wondered why she had to go through so much pain in the treatment and the therapies and all of that in her life. And perhaps you have a story in your mind right now that you're wondering the same thing. You're wondering, why, God, would you allow that to be the case? And as I reflect on the life of this mom, I realized that I was looking at it through a lens that just isn't true. I was looking at it through a lens that needed to be adapted. She was no more or less deserving of going through that than me or you. The reason is that she is part of this thing called the human race. And that I am part of that very thing as well. And that makes death inescapable and therefore makes suffering a very high likelihood. Because I think it's fair to say that if we went around this room and we talked to everybody in this room, I think each one of us would be able to identify at least one, if not multiple instances of suffering in our lives. Maybe not now, maybe in the past, or maybe you see it coming. And we'd identify those things in our, in our lives. And even though suffering is, a really, is, a real, is, 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 is something we can't escape this side of eternity, we can find incredible comfort in spite of it. Some of you have suffered far worse than this, and some have, have lost friends or grandparents to disease. Others have been devastated by, by the accidental death of, of parents or friends or relatives or loved ones in tragic circumstances. And you've cried out in those moments, oh, no, Lord, not this one. I remember as a kid, I, I had a friend uh, who, who's, who was in a car accident with her mom on the way to school. And I remember praying that morning, Lord, please, please, please don't take her mom. Please don't take that one. And I remember just that, that feeling of going, God, cry out, why would you do this? Why would you do this? And with that clearly in our minds, let me give you four things to help frame your view of God in your suffering. The first one is this. What your enemies have meant for destruction, God is working all things for good. Do you want a passage you want to read through? Can I actually encourage you to read Romans 8 about that uh, in the end there? What an amazing passage that is to that, about that. Because going back to Genesis, Satan, Satan deceived there, but God began his work of redeeming us from that moment on. That moment on became the moment when God began redeeming us. Think about the life of Joseph and the adversity that Joseph actually, actually went through in his life and he suffered. I think of the heartbreak of the total rejection by his own brothers that were ready to kill him on the spot. Think about the grief of being sold into slavery or forcibly leaving his family, his home, his country being sold and never seeing them again for decades. Even in Egypt, when he was in Egypt, the story of Joseph goes on, and he had to deal with the false accusation of the rape of Potiphar's wife, and which landed him in jail, right? Unjust. There was, in his life, plenty of opportunities for bitterness. 
Lots of opportunities for, for bitterness and anger. Think of all that God had allowed to happen, robbed of his childhood, robbed of his homeland and family, robbed of his good name. Why should he not curse God? But what does he say? He sees the sovereign hand of God in it all. And the first time he sees his brothers, what does he say to them? In, in, in Genesis 45, there's a story. He tells his brothers, he says this. He says, now therefore, it is not you who sent me here, but God. And he made me a father to Pharaoh and the Lord of all his household and ruler over the land of Egypt. And then five chapters later in Genesis 50, he says this. He says, he says, as for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good in order to bring about the present results. To preserve many people alive. I'm going to read that again. God meant it for good. Do you think God is completely missing in your suffering? Actually, I would say God is incredibly active in your suffering. Because if he wasn't, then that suffering would be completely devoid of any meaning at all. He's suffering for the sake of suffering. The second thing I want to give you on the way um, uh, is, is that God knows all about it. God knows all about it. The human predicament described by the Bible is so desperate and hopeless, yet God has not left us alone. The New Testament tells us that God has sent his son into the world as a human to share our life and experience our suffering. And through Jesus, who was tortured on a cross, God knows human grief and loss firsthand so that we can find help and comfort in him. The one who sought Adam and Eve in the garden, the one who went looking for them in the garden when they sinned, is the same one who sent his only son into that same world to die for you and me. He knows all about it. He knows all about it. Scripture says in Hebrews 4, it says, Jesus faced all the same testings we do, and yet he did not sin. So let us come boldly to the throne of grace. There we will receive mercy, and we will find grace to help us when we need it most. The third thing is this, is that God changed the situation. The death of Jesus was an act of agreement but there are even more important aspects to it. It was also God's way of attacking the root cause of human suffering. When Jesus died on the cross, he took responsibility for us and all the consequences of our rebellion. Because of this, he made it possible for us to be reconciled to God and become people we were created to be. To take us back to what God had intended us to be from the beginning of creation. And the fourth thing is this, is that there is an end to suffering. There is an end. There is hope in this where it's not just lost in the dismal stories and the struggles that we deal with in our own hearts and in the difficulty of our own minds. Because people who receive Jesus and the reconciliation that he offers back to him can see suffering very differently. First, you can see the example of Jesus that God is able to bring good out of even the greatest pain even when we don't understand how that can be. And secondly, they can look forward to the future uh, that is free from suffering. The Bible insists that there will come a day when God will renew the world and all those who have trusted in him, those who have followed Jesus will rise to new life through the history of Christianity, folks. Christians have hung on that hope in the face of persecution. They've hung on that hope 
in the face of loss and hardship. Because Jesus has been raised from the dead to new life, we know that God will save us too from death and judgment. The Apostle Paul describes it as a dramatic moment in 1 Corinthians 15. I just want to read it to you. Listen to this. Let me reveal, let me reveal to you a wonderful secret. We will not all die, but we will all be transformed. It will happen in a moment, in the blink of an eye, when the last trumpet is blown. For when the trumpet sounds, those who have died will be raised to live forever. And we who are living will also be transformed. For our dying bodies must be transformed into bodies that will never die. Our mortal bodies must be transformed into immortal bodies. Thank you, God. He gives us victory over sin and death through the Lord Jesus Christ. That is great news. That is really great news. In the end here, what, 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 what am I asking you to do with this? Because I feel like this is a really tough message to hear because it's, you know, we're talking about where we go back to in suffering and going, what is it there? So maybe, maybe today I want to give you a couple of options. Maybe you're bearing under the weight of suffering and it's time to lay it at the feet of Jesus and say yes to him for the first time in your life. Maybe your life has been a story of suffering where there's been suffering that's happened in so many different ways. Maybe you saw it in childhood. You saw it through your teenage years. Maybe as a young adult, maybe that's where you are now and you're going, I'm in the midst of it now. How am I ever gonna come out of this? Maybe you're bearing under that and you need to let that go and turn it over to God and say, God, it is yours. And guess what he says? He says, come to me, all you the labor and are heavy burdened and I will give you rest. It's an invitation to come. Or maybe you're a follower of Jesus and you need to confess that you're holding on to something from the past. What you're holding on, what are you holding on to that you need to let go of? Maybe it's suffering that somebody else has caused you. Maybe it's suffering that you've caused somebody else. Maybe it's holding God hostage to an outcome he never promised. Which, by the way, is the quickest way to dissatisfaction in your life. And maybe you're blaming God for suffering and pain. I want to challenge you to reject that. To actually step out of the way of that, re of that bitterness and that anger and reject it completely and say, God, I'm not going to have any part of that. That is not for me. That is not who you made me to be. I'm going to reject that. And so maybe today, that's what you need to do. You need to respond and say, I'm going to step away from bitterness and anger, and I'm going to trust God in the challenges he puts before me. What's your response today? I'm going to ask you to bow your heads and close your eyes. And we do this every single week, and we ask this question, Jesus... What are you saying to me today? We want to pray for you. And we do this at the end of every service where we offer prayer partners and we have them available at each corner of the room. There's one up here in the front on each side. There's one in the back corners of the room. And they're there to pray for you. 
and they're there for that reason. And maybe that's what you need this morning is someone just to walk alongside you to step up and to actually pray with you this morning over what's happening in your mind. So as those prayer partners get into place, I'm going to take a second and I want to pray for you. Would you stand with me? God, I have to admit that I find myself holding on to the suffering of past in my life. And I find myself not trusting you and not releasing that to you and knowing that, God, you intended for good what may have been tough for me. And so, Lord, I pray that you would help my brothers and sisters in this room to reject that, to know that there is a purpose behind it. And the origin of it comes in sin, sin that began with Adam and Eve and sin that perpetuates in our own hearts. I pray for my brothers and sisters here, the God, that you would help them to see where maybe they need to release to you. I pray that you would draw every single person in this moment to these prayer partners that need prayer in this moment right now. And I pray this in Jesus' name. If you'd like to learn more about Lighthouse Community, check out our website at mylighthousecommunity.com or connect with us on Facebook. You're invited to join us live Sunday mornings at 909 or 1111. Thanks again for listening to the Lighthouse Community Podcast.